Are we not the bestest of friends already? Only in media. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast that elected not to add any pieces at the trade deadline. Frankly, we are happy with the roster. We've got a lot of good depth. Our takes are hot, and we're ready to roll. Joining me today is uh, Rob. Rob, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm, I am, you know, I'm all right. I've been better. I've been worse. I'm day-to-day, maybe. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it's just kind of watching the season wind its way towards whatever conclusion we're going to get, I guess. Yeah, at least you found consistency, unlike our local hockey team. That's right. It's just, it's been bad. Um, It's been bad, and it almost got good, and there's still Schrodinger's hockey team, but man, it's it's tenuous. Um, Today, we're going to talk, obviously, about the deadline that has now come and gone. We're going to talk about an announcement related to some stars that are... Uh, on the perpe- on the actual injured list, as opposed to the partially injured list, uh, we're going to talk about the guys they've still got and what they might be able to do to get through the rest of the season and maybe find a positive outcome. And we'll have some fun and we'll make some friends and, and we'll grow our brands along the way. Um, <laughs> I think that's the that's the best we can hope at this point. Absolutely. And so I want to start. I'm going to hit you with the, with the big issues. We're not going to we're not going to pull any punches. I'm going to start with a quote. I've got a, this is Jim Nill speaking two days ago, so in advance of the trade deadline, and he said, "And I quote: We talk about." the trade deadline and bringing in players. We've talked all along from day one. If we can get Seggy back, if we can get Rads back, if we can get Bish back, Kiviranta's out. You could start adding those players. Those are elite players, and we've missed them, missed them in a lot of situations. Um, This was, of course, before the deadline. Deadline has come and gone, and the Dallas Stars have added Sammy Vatanen. Uh, and the reason I bring this up and we'll start here and then we'll meander into a couple of other topics, but heading into the deadline, Rob, did you expect anything out of the Dallas stars? From where I sat, I didn't really expect much from the Dallas stars. Um, I would have liked to have seen a move made with either Andrew Cogliano or Blake Como. Um, but knowing the history of this franchise and the way it's gone the last or since the, uh, the rebrand, I didn't expect them to be all-out sellers. Um, And then I believe that just the mindset of this season with the COVID outbreak and then the winter storm break, it really has at least messed with the psyche of the front office a little bit to where they didn't believe they needed to be sellers and that they still had this outside shot of the playoffs. But by looking at the roster construction, there was definitely moves to be made that could have made the team better for next year while shedding some weight this season. I think, and, and you mentioned Como and you mentioned Cogliano, and those are two players that are unrestricted free agents that seasoned in, and, and there has been some speculation given their spot in the lineup and Dallas's ability to replace that spot in the lineup for, for at the risk of being overly direct. And so there, there was a lot of sense to the notion that those might be a couple of appealing places or players that that might have been flipped. I mean, look at what um, look at what Nick Foligno drew from Toronto, and I think it was a TV Zone Robert Tiffin, old friend of the pod, who posted a, a graphic really illustrating the essential lack of difference between what you get out of an Andrew Cogliano and what you get out of a um, Marcus Foligno. So, or, or whichever Foligno, I apologize, I get them confused. But the point being. 
and especially contrasting with Chicago in the division, I think there was a little bit of a, of a case to be made that no, you didn't want to blow anything up. Yes, the playoffs were still at that point, you know, still at this point even, at least in theoretical reach. So yeah, it didn't make sense to do anything. You know, it didn't make sense to do triage, but there were useful pieces on this roster replaceable pieces that aren't going to be a part of the long term. And it was a little surprising to see, frankly, not a little bit of tinkering, not, not, you know, bring in something fresh to try and, you know, change the vibe a little bit. I absolutely agree. And the only move I would have been disappointed to see them make was a trade for Jamie Alexiak. I know the return for a defenseman of that size and that talent, what he's shown, what he's shown last year in the playoffs and then throughout this season, would have yielded a really good return for the team. Uh, I would have liked to see them keep him. They obviously did. Um, but outside of Alexiak, I think there were definitely moves to make. You could have gotten a good return for a player like Cogliano or Como with some draft picks, while also allowing your younger players to slot into a into a place in the lineup that's you know replaceable for a Ty DeLandry to go take that spot on Cogliano's line. It's younger, it's cheaper, and you're giving minute to a young player in a season where minutes are going to be foundational for their development going forward. Well, and I would extend in a season where you've had such wretched luck with injuries that there's some value in finding roster spots for guys that maybe have a little bit less wear on the tires by this point in the year, you know, a little bit, uh, haven't played quite so many back-to-backs, have had a couple breathers in the press box, especially if, you know, at this stage, if Dallas is going to make the playoffs, it's going to take just an absolute screaming run down the stretch. And yeah, you'd think a little bit of fresh wheels, fresh blood might have, might've helped with that. Absolutely. And you see, like you, like you referenced Chicago, and Chicago made a lot of really good moves with uh, Matias Yanmark, old friend of the Dallas Stars, um, going to Vegas, and they got a pretty good return on that trade. So I think you're right. You would have liked to have seen a move that really does show the fan base, hey, we're not selling, we're not rebuilding, but we're going to retool on the fly here, not give up on that vision of the playoffs with guys like Sagan coming back. Uh, at that time, guys like Bishop or Radulov coming back, but also to say there are tinkering that needs to be done. Let's do it now, and then let's see what we've got the rest of the uh, the rest of this season. So then I want to ask, and and while we're still on the topic of trades, and, and if there's a name, great, and if there's not a name, an archetype, I think is is fine as well. So you're you're magically transported. You're wearing the Jim Nil mustache of power and authority. What? You know, you've mentioned Cogliano and Como in terms of pieces, right, that might have moved. How about coming in, right? Looking out across the league, looking maybe at some of the guys that did move and were available. What what would you have done uh, to try and, and kind of freshen things up with this team at this time? I don't believe I would have made anything like a blockbuster move, if that makes sense. I wouldn't have gone out and gotten, you know, a Matias Yanmark or have made the trades that Washington or or Toronto at the deadline, which, by the way, I believe those are really good trades for both of those or all three of those teams. What I would have done is I would have liked to shed a little bit of salary on expiring contracts, um, move a player that's about 35 plus in age um, to a new situation, while also getting back picks or prospects to bolster your AHL team, bolster your depth throughout the organization, while also elevating good younger players up to new to good lineup positions, um, and then just letting players like Robertson or Garyonov or Delandria or just take your pick down the lineup, give them a slot in the lineup and say, we're giving you the keys to these positions. You're not coming out of the lineup. You're young players. 
let's see what you have down the stretch and we can grade it at the end of the season while also, like I said, bolstering your organizational depth of draft picks, prospects. So you're in a good situation, both short term and long term, depending on however this season ends. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I think you're right. I wouldn't have done anything. I, I, I take that back. We talked about this um, during last the last session we did. I think for me, the the complete fantasy home run swing would have been something involving, you know, a disgruntled forward somewhere that you can plug into the top six, like a guy like Line A, um, if in fact he'd worn out his welcome. But you're right. There wasn't, I don't think, a big move to make. Uh, I, you know, I, I look at I look at the fact that Detroit was willing to move Anthony Mantha. And I think that maybe that would have been an interesting thing to do. Um, you know, I think even Jacob Rana out of out of Washington, right? I think about, you know, you you're not. I don't think the stars were in a position, nor should they have given up sort of premium assets to get something. Um, and I, and in my opinion, the the high price the Capitals paid for Mantha was much more about getting out of the panic contract, if that makes sense. So yeah. I, I don't think you, you I don't think you shop at the top of the market, but I think that there was a case to be made for finding, even if it was a flawed piece, just finding somebody that could do something in the top half of the lineup or on the power play. Um, because frankly, I think what we've learned at this point in the season is Dallas's defense is, is pretty settled. Um, their yeah. goaltending also pretty settled, right? Long live the otter, cute, cute sea creature, great goaltender, right? So I think looking at the roster, there the needs injury enforced, right? They they just need help offensively. It's it's killed the season, and so I might have, and, and again without knowing what was out there, um, but just reacting to some of the types of guys that moved, it would have been interesting to see what Dallas could have found, um, you know, in in that in, in something like I said, a, a flawed a flawed top six player. Um, might have been nice and and i say that especially like moving uh using that as my segue into the next half is of course after the trade deadline you know if you'll recall we opened the podcast with jim nill's quotes about how getting guys like seggy and radulov and ben bishop back would in fact serve as sort of de facto trade acquisitions well news came out today of those pieces mentioned right Ben Bishop done for the year. Uh, they're going to let him you know, kind of finish his recovery and start next season. Alex Radulov, core muscle surgery, done for the year. So, you know, we get to the other side of the deadline and all of a sudden, at, at least half of the rationale for standing pat, right, is no longer valid. And, you know, just start, we'll start here, Rob. What was your, you know, when, when you read or heard or saw that news, right, what was your reaction to, uh, to that? You know, I was naturally just disappointed. I mean, you look at a player like Alexander Radulov, what he brings to the lineup. I mean, there is a correlation between when he became injured and just the overall trend in wins and losses throughout the season. They miss him in the lineup. Um, when it comes to Bishop, it almost makes sense. You have an injury-prone goaltender with, a, I believe it's a knee injury or knee surgery, but he's dealing yeah, with. That's correct. Um I would have kept him out of the season regardless in a season like this. A bit of compressed schedule. You're just literally putting the injury question mark of not if it's going to happen, but when is it going to happen? So the Radulov, that disappoints me because they kept putting that hope like, oh, he's skating. He's day-to-day. He might come back at some point. The Bishop wasn't as surprising to me, um, just given his injury history. I just don't believe you can fall back on that excuse at the deadline where we're getting these guys back and then two days later go, oh, wait, 
we're going to sit Bishop throughout the rest of the season, and then Radulov is going to have surgery. It just it doesn't the excuse doesn't doesn't match up two days later, and I think it does reinforce your previous point of why not make a move. I know I referenced Jamie Alexiak a couple minutes ago, but when it comes to him, I think he was the player that yields that flawed top six uh, prospect yep. or top six forward um, in, a, in a package. Um, not anything blockbuster, obviously, but it still gives the team a shot in the arm or something in the absence of a player like Radulov. Um, but it's just, it's very disappointing. And it does show that while they might not say verbally they're out of the playoff picture, it seems like the team has already pivoted to, we're probably not going to make the playoffs this year. Let's get these guys healthy for next year. But what was the rationale for doing nothing at the deadline? Yeah. I mean, one theory is right. If, if you're, if you're in a negotiation situation in the marketplace and, and trying to, what's the, the old adage, the other teams throw, you know, throw anvils, not life rafts. I can see a certain sense in, in getting that quote out there just as a cost control measure, right? If everybody knows that you're about to down check Radulov and, and less so Ben Bishop, because frankly, the way that, you know, Ottinger has played this season, the way that Hudobin has played lately, you know, Dallas's long-term plan appears to be Bishop and Ottinger and then transition into Ottinger and, and whomever else, right? So it makes sense as long as Hudobin is playing well, which he is, that you can take that more long-term view with Ben Bishop. And, and as you mentioned, he's a big goalie. It's a condensed schedule. He's got, you know, leg problems. He's had them before, right? So there are a ton of reasons that it makes sense. Radulov, I think, was much more like if if other teams know he's not coming back then you know you're you're adding a you're you're subtract you're you're adding a round to whatever pick you're asking for because you can sense the desperation so you know we may never know my sense is that the driving nature of that quote was to kind of control the marketplace why well, I, I have to think that a, a gm as good as jim nil was trying to do more than he did at the deadline and maybe the deal just wasn't there the prices were too high but, um, you know, I think you're right. It is it is starting to get to the point. You know, I think Saad had a great um, a great tweet earlier today from The Athletic about how, you know, Dallas has really their last real cherry stretch of the season coming up where I think their next uh, I think their next six games are against Columbus and Detroit. Right. And Columbus has, has traded away pieces. Detroit has gutted the roster. You know, we're really at the stage with the stars where they're they're looking at nine points minimum out of their next 12, if not 12 of 12, to really even still be in the conversation. So I do think there is a level of realism starting to soak in and, and you know, a lot of talk about, well, well they could get Tyler Sagan back in two weeks. Well, it's not really going to matter uh, <laughs> in two weeks. So, um, yeah, it's, it's just a weird inflection point. And, and I think the news to me, like, I think really lines up with what you said. It is the team starting to come to grips with the fact that like it may not happen this season for a lot of reasons. And, and you mentioned this earlier in the podcast, and I think this was um, a really good point to make. And, and it's worth calling out again is, you know, the team seems to have decided, and, and this isn't, I'm not making a value judgment here because I don't know that they're wrong. Uh, the team seems to have decided that this year is kind of a sacrifice to the hockey gods and a fluke and with COVID and the injuries and everything. And, and it seems like they've decided that they're not going to do anything big Um for the sake of chasing something this year, right? Is that the impression you get? Yeah, absolutely. I think last year in the, in the finals run shows the front office and ownership and even the players themselves that 
with a healthy roster, the, the roster is capable of taking out teams like Colorado, Vegas, just with their team game. Um, so I don't really see the front office having the overall mindset that they need to blow anything up or they need to make something, you know, franchise shaking. But it still is really just tough to see um, from an analytical standpoint of this team in the final to this year and then trying to buy stock in. We're going to run it back next year with, you know, a team that's a year older with pieces at the top of the lineup that are a year older and then somehow hoping and praying that it, you know, reverts back to the bubble again. See, I'm actually going to I'm going to argue with you very slightly because I I think the one thing that has subtly happened this season is that the the concept of the pieces like the pieces at the top of this lineup, I think that we're seeing them change. And I think that one of the reasons that gives me that one of the reasons that I think lends some weight to the run it back argument is the version of the Dallas Stars that is is if if you hold the Dallas Stars to be a um if you hold the Dallas Stars to be a, a competitive team, a championship contending team next year, right? Last year it was sort of built on the backs of guys like Bishop and Sagan and Ben, right? That that generation. I think if you look at next year, you know, Bishop is probably still part of the equation. But the team has sort of transitioned much more into its Klingberg and its Miro and its Heinz. And it appears to be Jason Robertson, right? And so I think that the, the reason you can still have that hope is that the players, it, it's not so much that Dallas is missing Tyler Sagan and Tyler Sagan carries the offense and therefore the offense is bad is what's happening this year. It's that the injuries have been so concentrated amongst that group. It's Sagan and it's Radulov and Heinz has been limited. And, and you know, it's it's like they've been clustered around a specific role. Uh, Guryanov has fallen off and the team has been unable to contend. So I think there's a case to be made to say that they don't need a guy like Radulov or a guy like Sagan to come back next year and be 100% of the best version of them that they've always been, right? They, they're they perfectly fine if Tyler Sagan slots in as the, you know, number two center behind Rup, right behind Rupi. That's, that's, a, that's a good team. So I don't know that they're wrong. Um, kind of going through this organizational pivot, of course, the big caveat being, and thankfully the rumors died down, you kind of have to keep Klingberg in-house for that transition to um, transition to happen. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with keeping Klingberg around. And I, and I see your argument for sure when it comes to, you know, it does lend itself to a brighter future. I'm just saying from a standpoint of this season, there are moves on the table that are pretty common sense from you know an armchair gm standpoint but when it comes down to it did they make themselves better at the deadline or did they just kind of just meander through it and then pass this announcement today um without making anything you know that's going to at least set them up for some kind of long-term uh, yeah. future. I mean, to answer your question, I, whether whether behind closed doors and we'll never know, whether yeah. it was because they tried and couldn't, or whether it was because they're content to write, you know, to kind of see what happens. The emphatic answer is they did absolutely nothing at the deadline in a situation where to compete this year, they probably needed to do something. And yeah. that is, it's hard to look at that as being um, not significant. Like that just putting putting the as a fan that sucks let's just say oh absolutely and i will even give him 
this credit, I don't believe Sammy Vatanen looked bad last night. So I think that was a really good waiver deal for them. Mm-hmm. Um, Especially so with Sakura's least... status being uncertain. Yes, absolutely. And then I think Mark uh, Pesic looked really good at the in the forward slot last night. So I think on that kind of deal, or that kind of deal they made for Sammy Vatanen, I think that's a really good deal for a short-term fix on the blue line. I just don't believe that really moves the needle like at all. This need this team needs help offensively. Mm-hmm. Bar no, un, uh, no caveats, no no qualifications. This team's flaw right now is a lack of high end skill in the lineup, and they got none at the deadline. They just didn't. Absolutely, and I no no uh, argument there from me. So then we pivot to okay. Th- there's no help. The the cavalry is not coming right. They they may get Sagan back um, over the next couple weeks, but again, given the way that things shaped up with Radulov and Bishop's announcement, it wouldn't be entirely stunning uh, for them to come back and say, well, actually, you know, we're not going to throw him into the meat grinder of a 19 games and 31 days stretch, <laughs> which is insane, by the way. But um, so you know, okay, let's let's then refocus. You're you're now you're trading in your Jim Nil mustache of authority for the uh, the the silver well coiffed um, Rick uh, Rick bonus behind the bench. What is your what levers can you pull now to try and make this team a little bit better down the stretch? I really believe it starts and finishes with. I really do believe you have to give Dennis Garyanov more ice time. Um, I just take the reins off and let that kid go. I mean, I know what we saw in that overtime a couple of weeks ago, what we, what we've seen recently of just, I believe he's lost some confidence there in his play. <laughs> Understatement of <laughs> Understatement. The year. Yeah, absolutely. I, I just think you can let that kid go, like pull him in the office, say, look, we're going to keep in the lineup, top of the lineup. We're going to give you ice time. Just go do what you do. And Dennis Kurianov is not going to be, and I, don't like to make the comparison to Patrick Laine. He's not going to be this defensive player for you. He's his mission on the ice is just to score goals and create offense. I think you have to let him do that and then have enough trust in your lineup elsewhere on your third and fourth lines on other pieces on top lines to go play that defense and let Dennis Karyanov do what Dennis Karyanov does. I mean, he's a top, he scored 20 goals on this system last year. And then broke out in the playoffs. So obviously he's got the talent to go score goals in big moments. I think you have to rely on him to help drive that offense around Jason Robertson. Especially with hints out of the lineup. It seems every other game with this injury. Yeah, it's it's interesting, right? Because he is, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's been a tough stretch. He's played... You know, going back, he played 15 minutes against the floor, 15 and a half or so against Florida, but it was 12:40 before that, then 11, 11, 12. So his ice time has been down lately. You know, and in in, in defense of, of bonus and the Dallas Stars coaching staffs, the mis- he hasn't been a confident player. There have been mistakes on the pockets. It's clear that something's broken. And yeah, I, I'm sort of coming around to you know, I'm, I'm sort of on on agreeing with you on this and that. What it's it's one of those things where, yes, there are warts, but if this it's almost you know I kind of want to shake my fists in frustration and say it's this team isn't getting that help for you know Justin Dowling's not going to be an NHL point producer he's just not right there's there's nobody else in the lineup that has any sort of offensive upside we know who all these guys are right it's we're getting what we're getting as uh, you know as they say so. 
if you're looking at, at ways, you know, cause we're talking about, it's not, you know, to, to make the playoffs, right. At some point, what, well, what put Nashville ahead, right. They, they rattled off that like eight, two and O stretch that put them ahead of the, the junk in the, in the disco to put them into that four slot. So to catch up the stars at some point are going to need to go streaking. And, you know, we've, we've been sitting here all season relying on the, you know, waiting for the team, you know, kind of watching the team try and defense their way to that streak and sort of two one their way um, into that position. And it just hasn't worked. So it stands for easy. You got to do something different. And I think it's, it falls to the coaching staff, like what you're saying, whether it's his confidence, whether it's his deployment, you know, whether it's in between his ears, whether it's in between bonuses ears, the, the, chance of success that this team has runs directly through somebody figuring out how to get something out of Guryanov down the stretch. And it's very, very difficult for me as a fan to look at the playoffs last season, to look at the regular season last season, what he's been capable of and think that, you know, it's just, it's a problem that has to get solved, right? It's, it's just, you can't just write off a, a, a an asset with his potential because there are mistakes. Um, because frankly, without the mistakes, the team's not exactly doing great. And absolutely. And then when it comes down to it, even Gary Onoff has, show, has shown those flashes of just elite goal scoring when he has played really well this year. And I think he is a player that has to feel that trust and that confidence in his game for him to be successful. I think he has to have that belief that if he makes a mistake, it's not going to be something that he's going to find his way to the bench after a mistake. After a mistake, the overtime mistake, yes. I mean, he definitely played his way out of ice time after that one. But when it comes down to it, some of these guys are not the same. These guys just can't turn it on like other guys, like a Joe Pavelski or you know a Tyler Sagan. They have to feel that the coaching staff is behind them. They can make those mistakes that twenty-three-year-olds make and still keep on turning. I mean. The guy scored the clincher to bring this team to the Stanley Cup final last year. He's a big player who can score big goals for this team. I don't really believe they're putting him in situations where he can actually do that this season when they desperately need it. Yeah, they've got to figure something out, right? Because it's it's just not good enough right now. And it's it's interesting. It's it's we've we've railed against this before. It's a very strange quirk of the kind of NHL coaching orthodoxy. And a, a bottom six player that that does that side of the job you know a guy like jason dickinson you know a guy like radic foxa will go through kind of prolonged scoring issues and that's fine because it's not expected of them but a player like denis Garyanov will go through you know defensive issues and that's a you know that's a fireable offense and it's just a very strange to me as an outsider watching how watching the league be completely able to accept and utilize the limitations of one type of player while being completely unable to to find a way to maximize the advantages of a guy like Denis Gurionov, when the reality is, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna pile up all the guys that can score 20 goals on on one side of the scale, and you're gonna pile up all the guys that can play, you know, 12 to 15 diligent defensive minutes a night, and I guarantee you that scale is gonna tip your direction, not mine. Yeah, absolutely, and I and I do believe coaches are naturally inclined to go towards things that don't lose hockey games and don't lead to goals against. I totally understand that because defense is a huge part of the game, as you know, we all know. But when it comes back down to it at a 
just a purely hockey standpoint, goal scoring is what wins you hockey games. So if you have a guy that can go in straight line speed like Garyanov, he's got that shot, he's got everything you need to see in a goal scorer, I think you have to give that guy more minutes, more opportunities to go ahead and just play through it and then see if he can sink or swim on his own. But I don't believe he's being put in situations that lend its lend that result. Well, and I think as well, taking, you know, we, we talked earlier about the theme of taking the long view on things, even if, even if it's not enough this season, right? At some point you need to, and I, I'm going to get, I can hear Taylor screaming at me from, from wherever she happens to be right now for invoking this, you know, at some point you have to figure out if you've got a, a, you have to decide, you being the Dallas Stars, right? They've got to decide if Dennis Gurionov is a talented player that they believe they can coach through this this brutal stretch. Or do they have another Valerian Nichushkin on their hands? And is this another asset that they're going to, you know, burn and flip and and you know nothing there? So if nothing else, they gotta find out what they have in this kid. And that just might be their their one way to climb and claw back into this playoff race. So it'll be um you know, there's there's a lot of big big happenings over the next couple of weeks, we'll say. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And then, you know, you see players like, you know, Jason Robertson who are just flourishing in offensive situations. I don't see Dennis Karyanov not being able to do the same thing if placed in the same situations, if that makes sense. It'd be nice to see. Uh, it'd be nice to see the Stars pick a couple points. I know there's a, like we mentioned, there's a big stretch of games coming up that, you know, like I said, Schrodinger's hockey game all season. It feels like they've been simultaneously in and out of the race, but they're they're running out of runway. They've got a, a real butte stretch of games here that they should take advantage of. And, and we'll close on this one. Um, we're bringing the old prediction game back. So, you know, again, 12 very available points are, are looking the Dallas Stars right in the face. We know there's no help coming uh, at least before next week. Um, what? Let's fast forward, right? past Columbus, past Detroit. How many points do you see Dallas picking up over this next stretch? Well, I know we're guaranteed six because we always go to overtime. But (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to say I really see the Stars picking up eight of ten points or eight or ten points. I mean, they're going to have to win at least four or five of those games, I really believe. I mean, a Detroit team is prime with those moves they made, getting that roster, like you said earlier, to just pick off wins on that team. And I don't believe that Columbus really has enough juice left to go against a team like Dallas. I mean, Dallas is still a competitive hockey team. They didn't play a bad game last night. They haven't played very many just ugly hockey games. They just can't figure out a way to win in the third period in overtime. So I think these games are winnable for Dallas. It's just going to be, can they get to that finish line? Yeah, and I think you're right, and I hope I hope we see a little bit of a bounce too, right? We're past the deadline. Whether it was a factor or not, a guy like Jamie Alexiak knows his address isn't going to change over the next couple months. The team, frankly, knows what the roster is going to look like over the next couple months. The coaching staff does as well. So, you know, this is this is a, a stretch of hockey. They've got some winnable games coming up. You're right; they have not been playing, you know, overtime aside, they've not been playing badly. Um, they haven't been playing well enough to win, but they've not been playing badly. And now you've got the certainty of, okay, this is the group. So you have to think that, that somewhere there's a, you know, somewhere there's been a meeting or a discussion amongst the players that say, Hey, do we really want to be a team that makes the Stanley cup final and then, you know, fails to make the playoffs the next season. Right. And, and if the answer to that question is no, they do have, it's, it's not easy at this point. They probably need some help, but 
you know, they've, they've got a pathway still, despite everything, they've got a pathway. And so it'll be a very interesting, you know, we'll, we'll know the, the positive for stars fans is we've got about six games left to really know what's going to happen the rest of the year. And, and I guess that's, that's not nothing. And I don't want to throw it on Jamie Ben last, you know, my last point, but I think we need to see the Jamie Ben we saw in the playoffs last year to really just pull this team along. I mean, we know we're not getting Radulov back this year. We know the struggles we're having to just score goals and we might be getting Tyler Sagan back in two weeks. Let's see what Jamie Ben can do in these two weeks against, you know, I wouldn't say bad hockey teams, but just weaker opponents to really pull this team forward. And I hate that it has to fall back on Jamie Ben all the time, but he is the focal point of the offense of someone who's done it, been there before. I, mean, I think two points last night. It's, yeah, it exactly. sucks that he got victimized on the penalty that cost him the game, but he came, you know, he had, he had points on both goals and he came within about a third of a puck length of putting them ahead. So I, I agree. It'll be interesting. It's, it's, he's been a player that's been capable even in his later stage years. He's been a player that's capable of those stretches and man, it would be nice for him to throw out half a dozen really slick games in a row. So we'll see what happens. Uh, thank you very much for joining me on this, this podcast, Robin and, you know, KT, as always, working the keyboard and, and making all the magic behind the scenes. Um, and we'll, we'll catch everyone next time. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.